Well, thank you everybody for joining us. I'm Father Chris Alar, one of the Marian priests of the Immaculate Conception, joining you now for many dozens and dozens of Saturdays. God bless you for giving of your time. You know, God will never be outdone in generosity. So you're giving him a little time today. He will reward that because you're seeking uh, your faith, the understanding of the church, and God bless you for being with us. Now, you'll see on the screen that today's topic is going to be quite powerful. Now, I listed that as the greatest saint of our times. Now, no, I'm not trumping Faustina. St. Faustina is a very special saint, but Padre Pio was even later, decades later, and he got into the technology age. So I'm kind of separating those two. You could still say Faustine is the greatest saint of our times, absolutely, but Padre Pio is very important. That's what we're going to talk about today, the meaning of the stigmata and how we follow him to lead a life to Christ. Now, also, too, last week, we had some problems posting our talk, Forgiveness, and if you didn't get a chance to see that, it did have kind of a 9-11 theme, but it was way deeper than just 9-11. So if you go to YouTube and type in my last name, A-L-A-R, and forgiveness, or explaining the faith and forgiveness, it was last week's video, but a lot of people wrote me that you couldn't find it or you didn't see it. I know we had some problems. And speaking of forgiveness, today is the National Day of Remembrance for those who have been lost by abortion. And I was actually going to do a pro-life talk today, but I didn't start this talk till late last night. And I went home to my room and sat down on the chair after Brother Mark and I finished doing an EWTN episode, because our new show on EWTN, we invite you to watch every Wednesday at 6.30. And I sat down at my chair <laughs> at like 11 o'clock to do this talk. And the next thing I knew, I woke up, it was three in the morning. So... I'm starting this talk literally at three in the morning last night, and the pro-life and the abortion talk is so, so important, so in-depth that I didn't have time to put it together. So I made a choice to stick with, with uh, Padre Pio, which is good because I had that announced on social media a couple days ago. Then I flipped when I found out it was the day of abortion remembrance, and then I flipped back to Padre Pio. Now, why are we doing Padre Pio today before we begin our prayer? Because his feast day is next week. And this is also the week we just passed of the exaltation of the cross, the Our Lady of Sorrows, and the stigmata of St. Francis yesterday. So all of this we are sharing in the cross. And speaking of the day of remembrance for abortion, let us, let us begin with a prayer today, asking for the intercession of Padre Pio. In the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we ask you send the Holy Spirit down upon us to guide us and bless us. Open our minds and hearts to receive the grace through the intercession of Padre Pio. And Lord, as we come together today, you have said, when we are united, where two or more are gathered in your name, you are there in our presence. Lord, there are many more than two gathered in your name here in this shrine, in the live stream. And we're asking on this day of remembrance of those lost to abortion, that we please give the mothers the grace to be able to receive assistance, to raise children, to have the children, and for Padre Pio's intercession to end abortion. 
And we ask all this through the intercession of St. Faustina and in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So I was telling the group here at the Shrine earlier, I think this is going to be a sh much shorter talk, but I've done that before, and people have gotten, say, Father, why do you keep saying that when it ends up going longer? We're going to see. I think it should be, though. But God bless you for joining us. Now, as I mentioned, Padre P was called one of the greatest saints of our time. I would put him in Faustina as the two greatest saints of our present time. Now you could add John Paul to that because John Paul II, look what he did for the church. So please, with that title, greatest saint of our times, you got to include John Paul. You got to include St. Faustina. Very important. Now, stay with us because we're going to hit some very interesting things. And my favorite part of this whole talk is the very end. I'm going to tell you about the flying monk. So stay with us. But anyway, he was born Francesco Forgioni in 1887. Just to give you a little background, stay with us because we're going to get deeper here in, in meaning of his teachings. But let's give some overview. Uh, he died in 1968. So he's a very modern saint. He was born to some peasant farmers on, and died, and excuse me, um, born in 1887 to some peasant farmers, then died in 1968 on September 23rd. That's why his feast day coming up next week, we want to prepare you today to ask for his intercession. When you hear what he's done, you're going to be like, whoa, this is a saint's day I don't want to miss next Thursday. So we're getting you ready today. Now, let's look at our first slide or second slide. That's why on September the 23rd, the church remembers him. Now, we said his name was Francesco Forgioni, but we know him as Padre Pio, St. Padre Pio of Petrelcina. That was the place in Italy, little unknown town where he was from. Now, we know him, as we said, by the religious name Pio, which means what? Pio is the Italian modern version of pious, like St. Pius. He was named after Pius V the, the um, Pope, Pius V. So a little bit about him. It's an amazing story. Do you know his parents? His parents were illiterate. They could not read, but they memorized all the gospels. Holy cow. We all can read, or most of us can read, and how many of us have memorized the gospels? I have a hard enough time remembering a passage let alone a whole book, let alone all the Gospels. And so this was the key. The family memorized the Gospels. They went to daily Mass. And his mother said that when Padre Pio was young, she would see him speaking to Jesus. You know who else had that? You know who else directly spoke to Jesus? St. Faustina. And I bet you didn't know this one. John Paul II. We know from his secretary that John Paul would say at certain times of the day, do not disturb me. When he went into the chapel, the only time that Cardinal Jeevich was allowed to disturb John Paul during a certain holy hour of the day is if Ronald Reagan was on the telephone. And one day Ronald Reagan was on the telephone and he walked into the chapel to, 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 to get John Paul and he saw John Paul literally in a conversation with God. John Paul too had no fanfare. He didn't want anybody even knowing. 
He told him, nobody disturb me. You're not allowed to come in here unless it's a crisis and it's Ronald Reagan on the phone. And there's John Paul literally speaking with God. Faustina did it, John Paul did it, and Padre Pio did it. That's why I call them the three greatest saints of our times. And so his mother said that he would speak to Jesus, to Mary, and his guardian angel. So don't forget to speak to your guardian angel. Very powerful. In fact, he would send his guardian angel to assist other people's guardian angel. Like, maybe he could send his mind because as a priest, we sometimes really are attacked. And our attack has just been nonstop. Since we've started our EWTN show, Father Kaz has said, you got to be careful because the attacks are going to begin. And, he, and Satan doesn't just attack you. He's going to attack your family. My mom fall down the stairs, got brain damage from a concussion. My father blew out his knee. Now I find out that the husband of my cousin drowned in a whitewater rafting accident in two feet of water. His ankle was caught between two rocks. Some of our members of this team, one's brother just got notification of terminal cancer. Another one, just wife just had a miscarriage. Another one, his sister has cancer. All this has been happening. So Padre Pio, send us your guardian angel because that's what he would do. He would send his guardian angel. And so his mom would see him speaking with Jesus, Mary, and his guardian angel. And so from a very young age, he did this, but he was also very sick. Who else was very sick? St. Faustina. John Paul II got Parkinson's. And so at five years old, he knew he wanted to be a priest. Sounds like Father Allen. If you saw our last week episode of Living Divine Mercy on EWTN, you'll see Father Allen. He said, I wanted to be a priest since I was four. And so this was Padre Pio. He, at five years old, wanted to be a priest, and he would sleep on a stone pillow. If, how many five-year-olds do you know that, like that? And so he had many ailments. He was a physical wreck. He had arthritis, and I mean, he had all kinds of things. So we should never think that we can't accomplish something, even if we are struggling. So he accepted his cross. And the reason I think it's powerful that his feast day is next week is because it's so close to what we just celebrated. September 14th was exaltation of the cross. You see this cross before me. This is a cross that has so much miracles attached to it. Father Kaz got it from Poland. It was made in the early 1700s when our father founder, our, our founding um, uh, priest, Father St. Stan, uh, Stanislaus, right about when he died, 1701. And if you're here personally, come up to this cross at the end of this talk and venerate the cross, ask for miracles. Because this, is, this cross has been brought from Poland, has been known to have miracles. And so we see this. And so September 14th was the exaltation of the cross. The next day, September 15th, was Our Lady of Sorrows who stood at the foot of the cross. September 17th, which was just yesterday, is the stigmata of St. Francis, the first person ever to have the stigmata. And what saints also got the stigmata? St. Padre Pio. This is amazing how this all ties together. So he had many spiritual gifts, healing, by location, which means he could be in two places at once. Man, would I love that gift. I could be fishing right now. 
That would be so awesome. Um, levitation. He would rise up. People would see him levitate. In fact, the flying monk, you're going to hear about my favorite all-time saint story outside of St. Faustina is the flying monk. That'll come up at the end here. Prophecy, miracles. He never slept. I'm like, okay, I'm kind of like Padre Pio that way. But then it also said he hardly ever ate. And I'm like, okay, I'm definitely not Padre Pio. He lived on three and a half ounces of food a day. That's not even enough to sustain an infant. He lived off of three and a half ounces of food a day and he weighed 170 pounds. It's not even enough for a baby. And they said that he once lived 20 solid days only on the Eucharist. He had the ability to read souls. So, you know, that's probably why I would be afraid to go to confession to him. You know, well, you sit down and you're like, Father, he's like, ah, you forgot that. <laughs> I was like, uh-oh, I wasn't even going to mention that one. So he's a great saint to go to. Now he was ordained in 1910, so he was living at the same time as St. Faustina. This is amazing. He actually was older than St. Faustina, but he lived decades past St. Faustina. St. Faustina died at only 33. And so Padre Pio was much, much, much older. So anyway, he ordained, got ordained in 1910, and right after he got the stigmata. What's the stigmata? The bleeding wounds of Jesus. Not anywhere on the body, but where Christ was wounded, in the hands, the feet, the side, where the crown was. And so it was present in his own flesh. So let's look at our next slide. By 1916, he had entered into the Franciscan friary at San Giovanni Rotundo. This is in Italy. There's a picture of it. If you don't have your, your phone, you can see this on a later. Uh, we'll keep this, this video up. And he was part of the Franciscans. Now, who are the Franciscans? They're what we call a mendicant order. What is a mendicant order? You've probably heard that. Mendicant means to beg. And so the famous mendicants, have you ever heard of the Dominicans? You ever hear of the Franciscans or the Carmelites? Great saints. Great saints, the Dominicans. You have St. Dominic. You have St. Thomas Aquinas. Carmelites. You got St. Teresa of Avila. You got St. Therese of Lisieux. And you got here the Franciscans, St. Francis, Padre Pio. So the mendicant word means to beg. They owned nothing, not even in common. See, we Marian fathers, we take the vow of poverty, but we can own personal things. Thank goodness I don't have to share my underwear with cameraman Giuseppe. <laughs> because I just, that's not for me. So we, we are a little different. The mendicant orders, they, everything was in common. So these are friars. So when you hear the word, what's the difference between a friar and a monk? Okay, a friar are different from monks. They are called to live the evangelical counsels, which is a big word for vows, poverty, chastity, and obedience in service to society. So a friar is out. He's out and about. You know EWTN? You ever watch EWTN? Those guys are filming, they're on TV, they're out doing TV shows, they're friars. But a monk, Dominicans are friars, you see them out teaching. Now, 
you see monks, they are cloistered. So we're not a monk. We're more apostolic, which means you're out into the world, not of the world, in the world. But a friar, I'm sorry, a friar is like that. We're like that. But a monk is, remains inside his convent or, or monastery, never leaves. So that's the difference between a monk and a friar. They're more cloistered devotion-wise. Monks and nuns. So let's go to the female side. What's the difference between a sister and a nun? We call them all sisters. Sisters are out and about. Sisters are teachers, like I had Sister Dorothy. But a nun is cloistered. She doesn't go out and about. It's a different kind of calling. And so monks and nuns, they live in a self-sufficient community. Friars and sisters, they go out into the world. So you have, um, you have basically monks and nuns, they're inside. <laughs> Friars and sisters are outside. Kind of interesting. So they work among the lay people and they're supported by donations. Like we are supported by you guys. How beautiful. So a monk or a nun makes their vows and commits inside a particular community, inside a particular place. Friars and sisters, yes, they take vows too. They both take vows of poverty, chastity, and obedience, but they go out into a wider area. They can go between houses. They can travel. All right, so he's a friar. Padre Pio is a, a Franciscan friar. And so during 1917 and 1918, Padre Pio briefly served in the Italian army. Now, he wasn't a soldier. He was a medic. Boy, those guys, man, you ever watch a war documentary? Those medics, God bless them. So anyway, he offered himself as a spiritual victim to end World War I, accepting his suffering if God would bring peace. Interesting, because St. Faustina lived through World War I too. Now, again, he received the wounds of Christ on his body, the stigmata. We'll talk about more about that later. And he had it for 50 years. All right, his reputation for holiness and doing miracles began to attract large crowds. So a lot of people started coming. But now the Vatican, yay, yay, yay. The Vatican stepped in thinking that the friars were going to benefit from this publicity. So they restricted him. They banned him. Sound familiar? St. Faustina. And who helped St. Faustina? John Paul II. Again, these three saints. So like St. Faustina, uh, uh, Padre Pio was banned. And so the Vatican restricted him. And when asked about this, they're like, Padre Pio, what did you think about being banned? I mean, today, God bless our priests, but, you know, we've got this group of priests out there, you know, yelling at the bishops, and I'm being banned, and I understand that. We should never quiet a priest who's speaking the truth. Never, ever, ever. But when Padre Pio was asked, what do you think about being banned? He said, pray, hope, and don't worry. He didn't go on television. He didn't do all that stuff. This is the best example of trust. Trust is mandatory. We don't get to heaven without grace. And Jesus said, grace is the vessel by which, or trust is the vessel by which all grace is received. So he said, work hard, don't worry. 
So anyway, some church officials denounced Padre Pio and had him banned for public ministry in 1931, just like Faustina. Now in 1931, guess what happened? Jesus is appearing to St. Faustina. This is amazing. So Pius the 11th ended that ban, though, just like the Vatican ended the ban on St. Faustina when they found out he was wrong. Hers was from a faulty translation. Guess what? Into Italian, just like Padre Pio. And so the ban was lifted, and then later Pius XII encouraged pilgrims to go to his friary. And so people would have to sleep sometimes outdoors in the fields for two weeks just to hear his get their confession. Can you imagine that? We can't even get Catholics to go to confession when the door's open and there's no line at all. I've had some people literally that I know, myself included, that's why I go to confession every week. Jean-Paul went every week. No matter what the condition is, I go every week. And we need people to go to the confession. These people would wait two weeks in the field. Now we have people camping out two weeks for sports tickets, concert tickets. Now, if it's University of Michigan football and the national championship, I might consider that. I could do my emails right from in line. No, just kidding. The only thing worth waiting two weeks in line for is confession. And they, people did. So he did great things like he established a hospital. But all the great things he did, he said the greatest thing is prayer and in, in, in suffering. Not forming a hospital, not any flying monk. Like Faustina, he said, my real mission will begin after my death. Again, the connection with Faustina. When he did uh, get, or excuse me, when he ended up dying, you know, the stigmata, we talked about the wounds of Christ and the bleeding wounds where he was crucified. And we'll talk more about that in a minute. They completely disappeared. Completely disappeared without a scar. And when he died, his body was found empty of all blood. He poured himself out. Do you know what he's the patron saint of now? Stress relief. <laughs> he gave it all. So if you need stress relief, don't turn to the wrong directions. Don't turn to something bad. Turn to Padre Pio. This is good stuff. Padre Pio then died, as I mentioned, on September 23rd, 1968. We celebrate his feast day next week. Don't miss it. And he was declared a saint, guessed by who? John Paul II. Those three. So anyway, let's watch a quick video it's only a minute and 40 seconds, but I'm going to tell you why this is the most amazing video. I scourged, searched long and hard and finally found this video because I knew it existed. And I searched long and hard and I finally found it. This video was made of his last mass the day before he died. He died on September 23rd, 1968. The video you're about to see is actual video of Padre Pio celebrating Mass the day before, September 22nd. It's only a minute and a half. Let's take a look. Oh, oh, oh. 
Okay, so what a powerful video that I was so blessed to find again of the actual last day before Padre Pio died celebrating Mass. Wow, powerful stuff. Now, I've been mentioning the stigmata. Let's look at the stigmata. What is it? Let's go into detail here. These are marks, including the nail wounds on the feet, the hands, and the side where Jesus was lanced, and the head where the crown of thorns were, and guess where else? Where else does the stigmata appear? I think we all know the hands, the feet, and the side, and the head. Where else? On the back, with the scourging, with tore the flesh off of our Lord. And so the stigmata may be visible or invisible. Believe it or not, there's an invisible stigmata. And they may be permanent, periodic or temporary. Different saints have gotten them. Saint Rita, one of my favorite saints, she had a single wound right in the middle of her forehead. Now the church wants to ensure though that sometimes these things are not from Satan to cause spiritual frenzy and to lead people astray. So what is a genuine stigmata? If you're getting wounds or you're bleeding, don't necessarily run thinking that it is the stigmata. Now it might be, but we're gonna tell you the difference right now. Okay, a genuine stigmata, the person who gets it must be living a life of heroic virtue, enduring physical and moral suffering. You're living in a state of mortal sin, I can promise you, you're not getting the stigmata. A genuine stigmata conforms to the wounds of our Lord. They're not random patterns on the Bible. You know, you bump up against your uh, edge of your door and you get a cut, you say, ah, I got the stigmata. No, you're not going to have a stigmata here. Although, you're going to hear this in a minute. We're going to talk in a second about the shoulder wound of Jesus, which Jesus said was his worst wound of all, and we don't know about it. A genuine stigmata bleeds, especially on the days of the Passion, Good Friday and actually every Friday. A genuine stigmata emits clean and pure blood. It doesn't get pus it doesn't fester. It's not, it's basically not like those of a pathological nature. Those fester. This is not pathological. The blood flows that comes from a genuine stigmata can be great, huge amounts, but never harms the person. They don't need a transfusion. There's one story read about a woman that was claiming it was a stigmata. She needed a transfusion. That would not be the stigmata. That of a pathological nature 
would weaken the person, as I said, and, and maybe require a transfusion. The genuine stigmata cannot be healed through medication, or, or whereas a pathological one can be. Okay? The genuine stigmata appears suddenly, whereas a pathological origin, psychological or maybe something in the body, appears gradually over time. Genuine stigmatas have been, uh, and this is uh, again from the, the writings of the church, have been surprised, by the stigmatics, if you call them, the people are usually surprised by it and they try to conceal it. And they did not pray for it. Should not be praying, Lord, make me bleed. Now, do you know 80% of all stigmatas are women? 80% of stigmatas are women. But you know who the first two were? Anybody know who the first two stigmatas were? Actually, everybody says St. Francis. And that's the first recorded one. All right. But it was actually St. Paul. St. Paul says in the letter to the Galatians, chapter 6, verse 17, let no man trouble me, for I bear the marks of the Lord Jesus in my body. So scholars believe he's talking about the stigmata. I bear the marks, the wounds of Jesus on my body. We don't have definitive proof. We don't have pictures, but that's what scholars believe. Since then, a number of Christians have received this grace. Let's take a look at our first one. Next slide. That's St. Francis holding his hands out with the wounds of the stigmata. The first certified case, as I mentioned, was St. Francis in the early 1200s. You know who else had it? St. Catherine of Siena. She lived later in the 1300s. She had mystical experiences and visions like Faustina at seven, like Padre Pio at five, like Brother Allen at four, <laughs> uh, Father Allen. But um, St. Francis or St. Catherine of Siena was six. Now, Padre Pio had a vision, feeling himself pierced in the side by a lance. And after that vision, there was a scar. There was a wound. And so let's look at our next slide. Here's an actual picture of Padre Pio. This is Padre Pio. So later on September 20th, 1918, while he was making his Thanksgiving after mass, he got the stigmata on his hands and feet. See how the blood is soaking through his hands? Each day he lost about a cup of blood. But the wounds never, ever closed or festered. There was no pus. They never, ever closed or festered. Also, sometimes there's putrid smell from a real wound. If it festers and gets infected, a sweet odor came instead of the smell of blood and his stigmata wounds. Why? Because he said the mass so humbly and he heard confessions for so long. I told you a second ago, the Padre Pio said the key is prayer and suffering. But you know, he said, those are our responses to God's grace. 
that we have to pray and accept our suffering. But do you know what he said the two key ways are to get God's grace? Confession and communion. And what is Divine Mercy Sunday? What did St. Faustina teach us? What did she say is the key to eternal life? Confession and communion. Wow. It's all about confession in the Eucharist. So it's not a cruel torture, but a grace of being united to Christ with his sufferings. All, all Christians must share in Christ's suffering in one way or another. You're going to get it. I'm going to get it. We might as well accept it for the salvation of souls. Don't waste it. It's coming, either physically, spiritually, or emotionally. You could see somebody that goes through their whole life and never appears to suffer at all. I can guarantee you they had some form of emotional or spiritual suffering. If you see somebody who's being dragged down by spiritual suffering, they might not get physical suffering, or they may get all three. You might get all three. Everyone who wants to be a disciple must take up their cross and follow Jesus. Now, does this mean we want it? Bring it on, Lord. Give me a heavier cross. No, Jesus asked for the cup to pass him by. But Lord, your will be done, not mine. If it's not your will, please help me accept it. Remember St. Faustina, Lord, I don't ask that you take me down from the cross. She said, Lord, I just ask you to give me the grace to remain upon it to persevere. I love that quote. So he even shared the cross Jesus did with Simon of Cyrene. So in other words, you might even get the cross when you don't want it. You might as well accept it like Mother Mary did. Sword pierced her heart. But if not, you're going to get it even just like Simon of Cyrene. He didn't want it, but he got it. But the point is, Jesus isn't going to unreward, not reward you for it. You won't have reward if you don't accept it, if you hate it and you curse God for it. But if you willingly accept it and say, Lord, truly in my human nature, I hate this. But if you're going to bring about the salvation of my son and daughter from this, if you're going to bring about the salvation of my husband because of this, I'll take it. That's Padre Pio. And that's the lesson he has for us today. St. Paul says he must make up for what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ for the sake of his body, the church. What could possibly be lacking in the sufferings of Christ? Our suffering. So the stigmata should be understood in the light that we are a follower of Jesus. We're not being punished. We each carry our own crosses, but in different ways. Now, speaking of the cross, I told you a second ago that Jesus revealed that the worst of all the wounds was not the hands, not the side, not the feet, not the crown, not the scourging. Jesus said that the worst wound, he told this to Bernard of Clairvaux and Padre Pio. The worst wound was on his shoulder because the wood on his right shoulder actually, can you imagine the slivers digging in? It wore the skin right off, tore the flesh right off, and was rubbing against his bone. Sorry, I don't mean to be graphic, but I think we have to understand the depth of the passion our Lord went through for us. Both Padre Pio and St. Bernard of Clairvaux had a devotion to the shoulder wound of Christ, which is not recorded. Jesus said, man, it did not record my shoulder wound, but it was the worst of all. Jesus told St. Bernard, 
I quote, this is with the words that Jesus gave St. Bernard of Clairvaux. I had on my shoulder while I bore my cross on the way of sorrows, a grievous wound on my shoulder that was more painful than all the others and which is not recorded by men. Honor this wound with your devotion and I will grant you whatsoever you ask through its virtue and merit and in regard to all those who shall venerate this shoulder wound, I will remit to them all their venial sins and no longer remember their mortal sins. Padre Pio once had an interesting conversation with Carol Voitia. You know who that is? John Paul. John Paul II. And he heard John Paul II's confession where he told him that someday he would become Pope. Now, we don't have the actual source of that, but that's been pious tradition for a while. And supposedly, Carol Voitia, John Paul II, asked Padre Pio, which of the wounds caused the most pain of your stigmata? So here's Padre Pio talking to John Paul II. John Paul II was just Cardinal Voitia. And Padre Pio's getting the stigmata over his whole body. And John Paul II asks him, Padre Pio, what is the worst wound of your stigmata. And he says, which one causes you the most pain? He expected Padre Pio to say his chest wound. But instead, Padre Pio replied, quote, it is my shoulder wound, which no one knows about and has never been cured or treated. Padre Pio bore that same horrific shoulder wound, but we never see it. Like Jesus, it isn't recorded. It was discovered later. This is fascinating. It was discovered later when they did one of his, they found one of his undershirts. And a big circle of blood stain was there on the right shoulder. This brother in the Franciscans, Modestino, asked Padre Pio to give him a sign if he truly bore Christ's shoulder wound. Then that night, that brother went to sleep and he was awoken at 1 a.m. with a terrible, excruciating pain in his shoulder as if he had been sliced with a knife down to the bone. Now, he felt that he would die from this pain if it continued and it only lasted a little short time. This is a brother of Padre Pio, not Padre Pio. The brother asked Padre Pio, how do I know you have this shoulder wound? And he had this dream. Then the room became, woke up and the room became filled with heavily perfume of flowers. He felt Padre Pio's spiritual presence and he heard Jesus' voice. This is what I had to suffer. My worst wound on the shoulder. And we don't even know about the shoulder wound. You know, St. Bernard of Claveau, right after this, wrote the prayer to the shoulder wound of Christ. And I used to pray this prayer before I came to the Marian Fathers every single day. I'm going to show it to you right now on the screen, and we're going to pray it together. But before I show it on the screen, this prayer, I, I used to pray every day, but then when I became a Marian Father, we had so many other prayers, I stopped praying it. I'm like, oh man, Lord, I, this is a sign. So let's put it on the screen. Let's have Brother Mark put, this is the prayer of the shoulder wound of Christ. In the name of the Father 
and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Oh, loving Jesus, meek Lamb of God, I, a miserable sinner, salute and worship the most sacred wound of your shoulder on which you bore your heavy cross, which so tore your flesh and laid bare your bones as to afflict on you an anguish greater than any other wound of your most blessed body. I adore you, O Jesus, most sorrowful. I praise you and glorify you and give you thanks for this most sacred and painful wound. I beseech you through that exceeding pain and by the crushing burden of your heavy cross to be merciful to me, a sinner, to forgive me all my mortal and venial sins and to lend me on towards heaven along the way of your cross. Amen. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Wow. If you're looking for a prayer to add to your daily prayers, it's not long. It's very short. We just did that in about 30 seconds. And nobody is praying and honoring that shoulder wound of Christ. <clears throat> but Padre Pio kept going. He was known for many miracles. Let me tell you about a couple of them. I love miracle stories. In 1939, a woman by the name of Gemma D. Giorgi was born without pupils. She had no pupils, and the doctor said nothing could be done for her. This Father Charles Mortimer Cardi, he recounts this, this situation. He said they were both lost in the crowd attending Padre Pio's mass. So this little girl who had no pupils was brought to a Padre Pio mass by her mom. So you had this little Gemma. She was brought to see Padre Pio. So he's doing mass. After mass, after attending the mass, when at the end, while the silence was still intense, everyone heard a voice yelling, Gemma, come here. The grandmother pushed her away to the altar. Padre Pio smiled at Gemma and told her that she must make her first communion. He heard her confession and then stroked her eyes. Now, healing didn't happen immediately. So we don't lose hope. Padre Pio saw them later, the mother and the daughter, and said, may the Madonna bless you, Gemma. Be a good girl. At this moment, the child screamed with a frantic cry. I can see. Gemma was technically blind. When she was healed, she didn't get new pupils. The main fascinating thing about this miracle isn't that she went from blind and automatically could see. This has happened before. We've seen it with people. What makes this case so incredible is she's the only case that they've ever known of, ever. And here's her picture. The Brother Mark show this. She's still alive today. This is her. She is the only case they know of that medically she's a blind person. Her eyes have no pupils, but she can see. This is inexplainable. I mean, it'd be different if her pupils were defective and all of a sudden her pupils could see again. She has no pupils. Her eyes to this day don't show that she can see. 
The cure was permanent and complete through her eyes, though, as I said, she had no pupils. She was examined by many, many doctors who testified to the case and were able to offer zero scientific explanation. Zero. Her extraordinary spiritual gifts included the ability, or his, I'm sorry, back to Padre Pio now. Not only doing these miracles, but he had the gift to read souls. In the confessional, sometimes 15 hours a day, he told people their sins before they would leave. So he would say, tell me your sins. And, and you know, it's funny because when I go to confession, I can't read souls. You don't have to worry about coming to me for confession. I cannot read souls. And I will always say to people who confess and I'll look at them and I'll say, is that all? And sometimes I think they're thinking I can read their souls. And they're like, oh uh, yeah, father, there's one more thing. <laughs> so Padre Pio could do this. I shouldn't have given away my secret, but we want to confess everything we can confess, right? But anyway, he often told the people their sins before they even confessed them. He knew, and this is powerful, he knew at the root of this, at the root of sin was the problem of society. And right now it's the destruction of the family. He knew the family is so important. So this is why he's the important saint of our times. Even Faustina didn't write about the family like Padre Pio. He said, the family is the first school and the first church. That's where your children go to learn, to learn, to pray, to learn about God and learn about things they need for life, to learn from you examples. There's other miracles. Let's go for a couple of them before I get to my favorite, the flying monk. You remember the U.S. Surgeon General C. Everett Koop? It's the guy with the beard. Here's his picture. You might remember him. He was the Surgeon General under Ronald Reagan. He served as a U.S. Surgeon General, like the top doctor in the country. He was under Reagan from 81 to 89 when he was Surgeon General. But he was best known for raising awareness, remember, about the cancers of cigarettes, you know, the dangers of cigarettes. But anyway, he's tied to Padre Pio. See Everett Koop. In 1966, there was a case of little Vera Marie Calandra. I love this story. Vera Marie was born with congenital kidney condition that threatened her life. She didn't have proper kidneys. And Dr. Koop himself, this is the U.S. Surgeon General, performed surgeries on this infant, on this infant and her severe urinary tract defects. Finally, he had to remove her bladder. And it got worse. <clears throat> her situation escalated and he told her parents, I am so sorry. She's not going to be able to live very long. It's not a question of if, it's a question of when. She was certain to die. Then her mother had read of the miracles of Padre Pio. And just a week before his death, this is amazing. She traveled with the little girl to San Giovanni Rotonde, where he was just a week before he died. You don't think God's behind this? So she travels there into Italy and they met him. And he blessed the mother and the daughter 
and placed his open wound, his sore hands upon the child's forehead. Upon their return home, Dr. Koop, who is now in the United States with them, was utterly and completely amazed. What he found was a new bladder growing in the little girl. It was replacing the old one that C. Everett Koop removed. This is impossible. A bladder doesn't grow. You can't grow a new bladder. And this little girl, C. Everett Croup was like, what is going on here? He said in all of his medical career, nothing compared to that. It was medically inexplicable. The doctor said impossible. She was restored to full health. Her mother promised God that she would spread the world, the word around the world about Padre Pio if her daughter were to live. Guess what? Her daughter lived. And so this mother established the National Center for Padre Pio in Pennsylvania. If you are near Bardo, Pennsylvania, go visit. You can do it on your way up to the National Shrine. <laughs> Vera Marie is now fully grown. And she is the president of the Padre Pio Center in Pennsylvania. Go say hi to her. <laughs> God bless. What a story, huh? What about the canonization miracle of Padre Pio? This is another amazing one. There was a surgeon at the hospital that was operating on a boy. And his name was Matteo Kalela when he suddenly died on the surgery table. This is the miracle, canonization. The doctor started praying to Padre Pio. You know why? This was in the hospital that Padre Pio founded. So the doctor gave frantic heart treatment, started massaging the heart. The patient was dead for one and a half hours. I've never heard of that. The doctor gave a massage to the heart, I'm sorry, for one and a half hours. In all of the 20 plus years of medicine, the doctor said, he had never seen a patient who had come back to life after something like that, who didn't have either brain damage or other physical malfunctions. This boy had zero heart rate. There was no heart beat and it came right back up. When the boy came to, and the boy came conscious again. He had no idea about the prayer of the surgeon, but the boy immediately said that while he was asleep, he didn't know he was dead, that Padre Pio came to him. This boy mentioned Padre Pio came to him, and he didn't even know that the doctor was praying to Padre Pio. Wow! What more do you need? Well, for me, the flying monk. Let's finish with the flying monk because I am a history fan. I love World War II, the story of good persevering over evil. No, we never love war. We never ever want that. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about good prevailing over evil. 
and the flying monk. What's the story of this? This is the first story I wanted to hear when I went to Europe. There were many, many, many um, allied pilots. The allies were the good guys, the United States, Great Britain, Australia, France. Okay, and they had a lot of different nationalities fighting on the allied side. Many, many different beliefs, many different religions. And they all testified to an amazing story. Every time when they got in their airplanes to fly their military mission, to approach the area of San Giovanni Rotundo, they saw a monk flying in the sky who was stretching out his wounded hands, preventing them from dropping bombs. Why? Because the Germans had a munitions uh, position there and they wanted to blow up the German position. So the Allied bombers kept flying to bomb this position where the Germans were right next to the monastery, where Padre Pio was. The Germans had occupied it. So the nearby areas were constantly bombarded. But yet, San Giovanni Rotundo, not a single bomb. This event was directly witnessed by several pilots, but at first they were all scared to say anything. They're like, they're going to ship me out of here and put me in the loony bin. So all these pilots who saw it, none of them would say anything. They were petrified. It's like today's cancel culture. They thought they'd be canceled out of being pilots. So finally, an Italian Air Force General, Bernardo Rossini, got fed up. He said, I'm sick and tired of you guys. I've had enough of this garbage. And he went up, a general. And he went up. And he saw it. A flying monk that forced the plane. And the plane couldn't fly over San Giovanni Rotundo, couldn't drop its bombs. And the planes actually turned around and the pilots couldn't stop the planes from literally turning around. So this guy was quoted, this General Rossini, he said, each time the pilots returned from their missions, they spoke of this monk in the sky. Now, I would correct him. He's a friar, not a monk. <laughs> and they diverted their airplanes, making them turn back. Everyone laughed at these stories. But since they kept happening over and over and over, the commanding general decided to take command of the squadron of bombers that were sent out to destroy some German war materials that was right next to St. John Giovanni Rotundo. Actually, it was right in it. My mistake. It was actually in it. And the Allies were going to bomb it. They knew that the German arsenal was there and it existed. But they didn't know exactly where. Later they found out it was in it, but they didn't know where. So not to make any mistake, they had to bomb the entire town. We're not exactly sure where the arsenal is, but we got to bomb the entire town to make sure we get it. Up until then, no one had succeeded in going towards that area because of the flying monk. 
So they had finally got over, one reported that the bomber actually got over San Giovanni. One reported, we actually got over it. And when the bombardier went to open the bomb bay doors to release the bombs, pushing the release, it wouldn't work. The bombs wouldn't fall. So this pilot, when he landed, reported it, and the mechanics looked at it and said, there's absolutely nothing wrong with the mechanism to release the bombs. Why didn't you release the bombs? He's like, we couldn't. So they pushed these buttons and the bombs wouldn't drop. And at the base, these mechanics looked at it and they said, it's mechanically unexplicable. Then the American general had enough. He says, you crazy Italians, I'm sick of this. <laughs> and so the American general was very upset as the Italian general recounted that as soon as they arrived near their target, they saw a flying monk. Can you imagine? This American general listening to these Italians talking about a flying monk. If that was the other side, they probably would have executed the poor guys. The bombs... At one point, the American then ordered them back up. And they tried to drop their bombs this time. You know what happened to the bombs? They fell way, way away, even though they dropped them over it, way over into a nearby woods harmlessly. Never touched San Giovanni Rotunda. They dropped and the planes turned around by themselves. Couldn't explain it. Now, someone told the commanding general that that monk may be residing right there at San Giovanni because there was a priest who was getting something called the stigmata. So now all of a sudden you're starting to make a little believer out of all these military guys. And so somebody told this commanding officer about this monk who's getting something called the stigmata and they consider him a saint. And perhaps he's the one responsible. At this point, they dropped it. They were too afraid they'd get court-martialed and thrown out of the military. Sad, right? But it never left the mind of the general. So you know what happened? After the war ended and he retired, he got a few of the pilots together and they went to the monastery. You want to see a picture of it? Here it is. There is the general with Padre Pio and the pilots. Incredible. And so he saw when they walked in, here comes all these military guys. They go to the convent. They go to the, the monastery. Can you imagine the head monk there? You know, it's like, or friar. It's like, are we in trouble? And they're looking for this flying monk. So the general goes in and all these pilots are there. And all of a sudden, all the friars started coming out. And they all immediately recognized Padre Pio. 
they all recognized him. So Padre Pio put his hand on the shoulder of the general and smiled. And Padre Pio said to the general, so it is you. You were the one who wished to do away with our monastery. Could you imagine the general? Uh, sorry. <laughs> oh, man. Astonished at seeing and hearing this friar, the general fell to his knees. The two became friends. The general was a Protestant and converted to Catholicism. Wow. You know, Padre Pio continues to work miracles today. That is one of my favorites. But he continues today. He's been called one of the most active saints in the church because he's still at work today. Many miracles and wonders have been attributed to him, including healing, soul reading, as I said, levitation, by location. But most of all, what people remember him for was he was joyful. Now, a lot of others say, wait a minute, Father. No, he wasn't joyful. He used to throw people out of the confessional. That one story that that woman went to him for confession. You ever heard this one? And Padre Pio threw her out. So the next day she came back and she says, why did you throw me out of the confessional? She never even got to do her confession. And he said, because you aborted the baby who was to become the greatest Pope the church ever had. So we don't ever know who that Pope was because he wasn't born to become Pope. And we don't know if that's officially true, but that's been, that's been the story for, for decades. The reason that sometimes he was serious and did things like that was because he knew people were not repentant. It was said that he could even smell sin. You know what's scary about that? That's what they said God does. Do you know when we go before our judgment, the saints tell us how God's going to know if we're worthy or not? He smells us. And if God smells a beautiful, aromic, beautiful rose smells, he knows you're a virtue. If he smells putrid, vile, he knows we're not. He was so concerned about people's souls and bringing them to God that sometimes he got very serious with them. Last half a page. So Padre Pio has been called a second St. Francis for our troubled current times. So to finish, in the midst of all our current turmoil that we see in the world, as the world is growing colder and colder towards God, God has renewed the bleeding wounds of Christ's passion. Now, he can't do it physically in his son here on earth. Jesus is resurrected. But he did it in the hands and the feet of Padre Pio. You know, Padre Pio used to get 5,000 letters a month. And here I complain about mine. I don't complain at all. I love getting letters. I'm talking about complaining that I don't get back to everybody. I feel so bad. But I got a new assistant now that's going to help me organize. I read every one. 
And so I might even be a year behind getting your emails back and your letters back, but I'm telling you, I'm going to get back. He got a 5,000. You know who helped him? I had to hire a new assistant. You know what Padre Pio did? Angels came and translated the letters from foreign languages into Italian for him. Now, Lord, I could use that. That could be, that could be very helpful. Sometimes he would not go to bed until 1 a.m. and would only sleep for two to three hours a night. And not only did he sleep a little bit, as I mentioned, he barely ate. He was renowned for his sacrifices and his sanctity, they said, converted countless souls. His fellow friars often heard the sounds of the devil attacking him at night. They would hear him from his cell being slammed against the wall, drug across the floor. And he wouldn't talk about it, but the next morning he'd be full of bruises. John Vianney used to talk about that. But the greatest glory of Padre Pio, of all of this, was his suffering. The stigmata. Even one of the doctors that was sent to examine um, Padre Pio by the Holy See, his name was Amiko Nijigami. I think it was Japanese or Italian-Japanese. He was an outspoken atheist. And he came to recognize when they investigated the stigmatas of Padre Pio sent by the Vatican. And this atheist said, there's no explanation for this. They had to come from God. Well, right there, he's no longer an atheist. How beautiful. So in the midst of an unbelieving age, an age of technology, that's why I call him the greatest of the modern saints. You could say John Paul II was technology too. He was a saint, a prophet, a wonder worker, a living crucifix. And he was raised up by God to draw us back on the right course to heaven. He's one of the greatest saints of our times. Like I said, John Paul Faustina. So in 2018, you may have remembered, the church celebrated the 50th anniversary of his death, because he died in 1968, and the 100th anniversary of his getting the stigmata, because he got that in 1918. So 2018 was a big year of Padre Pio. 50th anniversary of him dying and the 100th anniversary of him getting the stigmata. He had the stigmata literally exactly 50 years. Padre Pio, though, loved the church. He loved the church, he said, despite her problems. Personally, I think that's one of the greatest lessons we can learn from Padre Pio. I don't necessarily have to be upset with God because he got the stigmata and I don't. What do I want to learn from Padre Pio? Well, I'm not holy enough. I'm not getting the stigmata. I don't think so. I think what I need to learn from Padre Pio is to love the church God gave us despite its problems. With all her difficulties, with all her sins, he said, we are all sinners because we are all sinners. We are ashamed, but the spirit of God has called us within his church 
because the church brings us grace and only grace of the sacraments brings us back to holiness. So we need the church and he loved the holy church even with all her sinful children, all of them. Pray, hope, and don't worry. And worry, he said, why do you want to not worry? Because worry, he said, may signal that we're trying to take control of matters into our own hands. That belongs to God. He said, if I really believe God does love me and will truly take care of me, I should not worry. Remember, blessed Consolata Bertoni, Jesus told her, you worry only about loving me and I'll take care of everything else to the smallest detail. It is letting God be God. You don't try to lead or fix everything. You just stand by and stand by Jesus. You know, I think one of the neatest descriptions I ever heard of Padre Pio was, we're on a lifetime pilgrimage. And I heard it described that every time you go on a pilgrimage, what do you have? You have a guide. You have a chaplain. Sometimes they're one and the same. But he said, when you're going through your pilgrimage called life, and you pick a pilgrimage for the guide when you find out who the guide or the chaplain is. Pick your chaplain or your guide for this pilgrimage called life is Padre Pio. Because he's going to bring up two guest speakers with him. St. Faustina and St. John Paul II. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, everybody. What a beautiful gift we have in the saints. What a beautiful gift we have in Padre Pio. And, you know, I should real quick, Brother Mark, I gave him a couple extra two slides, if I may. If you're watching this on YouTube, I just want to show you a couple extra slides. Don't forget our talks. The first one is a DVD that I have of our, some of our early talks. We're going to be trying to produce some new ones in the future. Right now, we're focused on EWTN. But if you haven't gotten that talk, you can get that DVD called Explaining the Faith. This is not ones I've done on Saturday. This is ones I've done out on parishes. These are parish missions, really. And it's not the ones I did here on Saturday, but out on the parishes. And you can get that at shopmercy.org or 1-800-462-7426 or 1-800-4-MARIAN, M-A-R-I-A-N. Also, if you'd like to read our book, my book that I published about divine mercy, everything you need to know at least to get us through an understanding of what God asks of us. Let's look at our next slide. It's called Understanding Divine Mercy. For those of you here today, you can get it at the gift shop. I'd be happy to sign a copy for you. I'll be doing a thing around the grounds here today. You can get that in our bookstore or again, shopmercy.org at 1-800-462-7426. And last but not least, we invite all of you to become Marian helpers. This is no cost, takes 10 seconds to sign up. Just visit micprayers.org as you see on your, your screen and become a Marian helper. A Marian helper is so much grace. You can't donate a dollar, that doesn't matter. 
What we want to give to you through becoming a Marian helper is the grace that the Holy See has stated through decree of the Holy See, which that the Holy See has the authority to determine that we are a spiritual benefit society called the Association of Marian Helpers. I'm the director. I've been it now for almost eight years. And this is where God has me. There's no doubt. But I want all of you to join us. Become Marian Helpers. No cost. Takes 10 seconds to sign up. Visit micprayers.org. And you too can share in all of the graces of our masses, the prayers, our rosaries, our penances, just like you were a Marian of the Immaculate Conception without having to be a priest. But you still get all the graces I get. I mean, that's kind of like the scripture reading where the, the guys all come to work and they work a full day. And then later the guy shows up at the, like the last hour and then they go out into the field and they all come back and they're all expecting their pay. And the owner of the vineyard decides to pay them all the same. And they're like, whoa, wait a minute. I'm over here raising my hand. I've been, I went through giving up a family, a wife, a fam, you know, house, a business. Lord, I want more here. Uh-uh. You can come through being a Marian helper. And you're the last hour and you're getting the exact same grace I'm getting. The exact same grace of all our rosaries, prayers, and penances, just like you were a Marian father. That's by decree of the Holy See. So this membership is not about donations. This membership is about your salvation. My job as a priest is to bring souls to Jesus. That's what I love. That's what I, I, I desire. That's my whole being and existence. That's what I spend from 6 a.m. to midnight every day trying to do. So if there is a way to bring the most souls possible to Jesus Christ, it's going to be this way. Because this grace is guaranteed if you accept it. You have to open your heart. And so we don't know what happens at any particular judgment, but I'll tell you this. If the Holy See is right, and the tradition of 2,000 years of the church is right, when you go to your judgment, it could make a difference. Now, we're not promising. We're not saying it's guaranteeing your salvation. We're not saying that. All we're saying is everybody needs grace. And nobody wants to turn down grace. And this is a whole boatload of it. I don't care if you ever donate a dollar. I mean, we still got to eat. So for those of you who do, praise be to God. Thank you. But God knows who those who can and those who can't. Don't shy away. I got so many letters saying, Father, I would love to become a Marian helper, but I can't donate. I'm like, oh, you're the first ones I write back. That's okay. If you're going to donate and support our mission, God will put it on your heart. And if you're physically able and, and financially able to do it, God will put it on your heart. I don't worry about that. But if you're not, your soul is every bit as important as those who can. And it doesn't matter that you can't donate or anything like that. What matters is that you say, Lord, I want this grace. I want the graces that you're willing to offer through your church, through the sacraments, and through the Marians of the Immaculate Conception. We're not the only one. I'm not, I'm not saying that. There's other groups out there that have spiritual benefit societies.
You don't, uh, please don't say that I said that you have to be a Marian to go to heaven. I did not say that. Please, I didn't say that. But this is a huge amount of grace. And God bless you and all of our Marian helpers. And until next week, may through the intercession of Padre Pio, may Almighty God bless you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen and God bless you. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. Please follow or subscribe to this podcast to receive the latest episodes and updates. If you have been blessed by this podcast, I invite you to leave a review. Reviews greatly improve our podcast ranking and will help spread this podcast to other people throughout the world. Are you enjoying this podcast? I invite you to listen to more shows brought to you by the Marian Fathers of the Immaculate Conception. Join us daily for enriching spiritual content, which will help you on your journey with Jesus Christ. Simply visit divinemercyplus.org for a complete list of our shows. That's divinemercyplus.org. Are you a Marian helper? Join our Spiritual Benefit Society and start sharing in the graces of all the daily Masses, prayers, and good works of Marian priests and brothers all over the world. Sign up is free and easy. Simply visit micprayers.org. That's micprayers.org. Thank you, and God bless you.